Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. As always, this uh, these episodes are for all our fellow conspiracy realists out there. Today's episode is especially for our friends and family in Texas, and for all your friends and family in Texas as well. Um, this is an ongoing situation. It's kind of it's kind of wild to say the least. Uh, we've been on an infrastructure kick lately, ever since our earlier strange news segment about that hacker in Oldsmar, Florida. You know, the one who uh, tried to poison the city with lye. I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Sure yeah, was. And, yeah, which apparently is a thing that goes in water in some small amount, and he just upped the ante. Yep, and then we talked about. The the brine that gets produced that may be radioactive. No, it is radioactive in in making energy from fracking and other processes. Who knew infrastructure could be so terrifying and fascinating and still so boring? That's why that's why it's a, <laughs> a sleeping giant of conspiracy, corruption and problems like 
If you're reporting for a news site, you know that a story about infrastructure probably won't get you a ton of clicks or eyeballs. If you are running for office, railing about the danger of failing infrastructure probably isn't going to do much to help you get elected. And if you do fix this stuff, people will usually not bother to acknowledge or thank you for maintaining or fixing it, not because they're being dicks, but because infrastructure, when it works, becomes invisible. Right. It's sort of like when you have to buy new tires for your car or like a new battery. That's like the least sexy, fun purchase ever. You just resent it because it's just supposed to work. And when it doesn't, it makes you angry. And then you resent having to spend the money. But then, you know, it's nice when it does work, but then you forget all about it. Right. Yeah. We only notice this stuff or care about it when it breaks, when the lights don't come on, when you flip the switch, when the water doesn't come out of the faucet, when you turn the knob. And then immediately we scramble for someone to blame. It is boring as hell to be prepared. But if you ask any Boy Scout or any Texan nowadays, they'll tell you being prepared can save lives. Our story today is about the ongoing winter storm crisis in Texas. Here are the facts to to figure out what happened. uh, You know, first, this storm was not restricted to Texas. It hit parts of northern Mexico. It hit huge swaths of the U.S. and the rest of the North American continent. But Texas had a unique situation due to their power grid. And there's an old story behind this. Right. A story that begins in Texas uh, in the dawn of the previous century, in the years following the uh, construction of the first U.S. power plant. Uh, by Thomas Edison in Manhattan in 1882, small plants started popping up. Uh, I guess maybe that's where plants came from, because they're like plants popping up around uh, different areas of the nation, including Texas. Uh, and as time went on, these utilities began to become interconnected to one another. Uh, and the phenomenon of this interconnectedness accelerated during the First World War, because it was necessary. Absolutely. And expansion continued, more and more folks living further and further away from city centers. And guess what? In World War II, that expansion continued. And the interconnectedness uh, grew more connected, <laughs> solidified. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we want to call it. More connecty. Um, yes. Uh, yes. Um, and something else interesting happened during the World War II times here in the U.S., specifically out Texas way. Uh, utilities there in Texas began joining together too. Uh, ben, you've written in the outline here, Voltroning up, and I love that that uh, concept of all of the uh, the different plants and electrical mini grids there just Voltroning to become one giant. Uh, what's what's bigger than a megawatt or kilowatt? Gigawatt. It's, it's, Gigawatts, or perhaps yeah. for our younger listeners, uh, power rangering up, becoming a, a megatron of sorts. Right, or they assembled the Avengers. Look, we we spend a lot of time thinking <laughs> Megazord? about right. was it the Megazord? Zords? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> they formed something collectively known as the Texas Interconnected System. Let's call it the TIS uh, for the sake of brevity. This had some tremendous advantages in the beginning, both for the businesses and for the customers. First, it allowed these this network really allowed for the transmission of extra electricity to these factories that have massively ramped up production for the war effort. They're working around the clock. You got to feed the machine. But second, 
in the longer term, it allowed these utilities to link to ginormous dams along Texas rivers. And this is this is where our first plot twist starts. So for a very long time, this TIS was actually a group name for two distinct entities, one in northern Texas, one in southern Texas. They were different, but they worked together because they were on the same page about pretty much everything. They had one primary ulterior motive, and it was not to provide the best service to customers. What? Right. Their ulterior motive was to stay independent from larger oversights, avoid the constraints and big brotherhood and, and those silly regulations uh, that come in at the federal level. Which is a thing kind of at the heart of like Texas history, right? I mean, they're, they're, they've always kind of threatened to secede from the union or form their own, you know, mega state or whatever. Um, it seems to be that that autonomy and that fear uh, or resentment of big government is very much ingrained into the history of the state of Texas. Oh, yeah. And remember another thing, there's a reason it's called Texas tea, uh, oil, that is. <laughs> Black <laughs> <Sorry>. gold. <laughs> and there's a reason. It's because that's a resource that is all over the place in Texas and has been for a long time. And that meant that being independent from the other larger systems across North America was easier for Texas, right? Because they've got so much natural energy already existing there. In, oh, so and not just they- oil, too. Well, also, they don't want anyone coming in and drinking up their milkshake, right? Yeah, they've got uh, Texas is a resource rich state in a resource rich country. Uh, they don't just have oil, they have natural gas and coal and natural gas plays a big part in today's story. Uh, there, there was a really interesting study I read a number of years ago about which U.S. states could function autonomously like with like just in terms of providing resources for the people who already live there nothing geopolitical about it and you know california is on that list but texas is on that list too it's a big big place with a lot of stuff very climate um you know a ton of agriculture as well so with all this with all these resources already at their fingertips the powers that be in Texas were able to fuel their power plants with in-state resources. This was very important because it meant that they had encapsulated this industry all within the state lines. On both ends, they were kind of think of it as like growing or harvesting their own power. And then they were also only sending it to places in Texas. That's the way they wanted it because otherwise Uncle Sam gets involved. And makes you do silly things like be prepared. Back in <laughs> back in 1935, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who's the president at the time, signed something called the Federal Power Act into law. This gave an outfit called the Federal Power Commission the ability slash mandate to oversee all interstate electricity sales. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission uh, replaced it, and they, they currently handle all this stuff today. So what was Texas's solution to what they saw as federal overreach? Just never cross the state line. Just don't ever do it. And then we will be fine here with our Lone Star approach to energy. And uh, the rest of you, you other 49 states, well, there weren't 50 at that point, can continue uh, your own song and dance. Just leave us out of it. It makes me think of something Hank Hill might say. It's like, why would I ever want to leave Texas? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and, also, and also, good luck to you, Hawaii and 
Alaska. Good luck mm-hmm. getting power lines out to where you are. Ha. Right. Uh, <laughs> the caption says laughs in Texan. Uh, yeah. Jeez. So Texas uh, flirted with the idea of regulation at various points. And uh, in, until the 1970s, they had virtually no regulation. In 1970, something you've probably heard a lot of in the news recently was formed. It's the Energy Reliability Council of Texas, or ERCOT, not to be confused, as we discussed earlier, with ERGOT poisoning or EPCOT at Disney. ERCOT is uh, not as bad as ERGOT poisoning, and it is probably not as fun to visit there as it is to visit EPCOT. So I feel like that's a very fair way, a fair spectrum to put ERCOT on. for sure. Well, you definitely can't get a Belgian beer while walking around parts of ERCOT. I don't think it works that way. You're right. That's true. You also probably won't get spasms, diarrhea, mania, psychosis, headaches, nausea, vomiting, <laughs> desquamation. Not Epcot. That, that's not Epcot. That's not Epcot. That's not Epcot. That's, <laughs> that's not what Epcot's about, man. <laughs> uh, desquamation is a uh, grisly word of the day. It's it's uh, it, its street name is skin peeling. Oh. Anyway, anyway, before I take us too far down the wrong rabbit hole, Epcot was formed. Uh, largely in reaction to a massive blackout in November of 1965, which uh, some of our listeners may may remember. When Texas went back to deregulation in the 1990s, this agency, this institution, ERCOT, assumed additional responsibilities, and the entire time they kept that old uh, that old goal. They stayed beyond the reach of the feds. There were complications. Because the thing about these sorts of grand, multi-generational schemes with many moving parts is they never work out 100%. I wish people would just say that at the top of this kind of stuff. They never work out 100%. There are always exceptions. There are always missteps. There are always plot twists. And over the years, Texas itself has breached its energy independence a couple of times, out of necessity, I would say. Yep. Once it happened during World War II, when special provisions were made to link Texas to other grids. Uh, In time of crisis, that obviously makes sense. Um, Glad they went along with it. (laughs) But I guess they could probably have had their arms twisted as well. Uh, Then there's uh, 1976, during an event known as, a very sexy event name, The Midnight Connection. It's also our, uh, that's the inspiration for our Stuff They Don't Want You Know R&B band. Mm, yes. <laughs> yeah, and that was when a, a Texas utility, on purpose, uh, flipped a switch and sent power to Oklahoma just for a few hours. Uh, and this was what the feds were hoping for. And it set off a massive legal battle that could have brought Texas uh, to their knees in terms of you know power autonomy um, under federal regulators. Ultimately, Texas did win the day. And ended up staying off those larger grids. And this wasn't the only event. That's one of the big ones, right? There are several others. And Texas ended up uh, in a bit of a have your cake and eat it too situation. <laughs> I love I love the concept there. In 2011, the state started getting some power from Mexico during a, another set of issues where they were rolling blackouts, where they, they kind of had to force some people to go without power in order to get power to the places that it needed to be. You know, the expression, have your cake and eat it too, is always really fascinating. I mean, you know, it makes me think of Schrodinger's cat. Uh, we call it, like, it's there and not there at the same time. We should, we should start referring to that as Schrodinger's cake. <laughs> I like that. And, and we, we say it this way, having your cake and eating it too, because 
this connection to Mexico, a couple, this one connection that we just mentioned earlier, it means that Texas right now does have several power connections to Mexico as well as to the larger energy grid in the United States. But it doesn't mean they're being regulated by the feds. They've, they've, they've still got some regulation when it comes to ERCOT, that energy and reliability group that we're talking about here. They are, uh, kind of looked over in a way. It's kind of strange when you read some of the, some of the ways it works online, but they're, they're kind of overseen by the public utility commission of Texas. And I only say kind of, because it feels a little strange sometimes, at least from an outside perspective about who is actually in charge in many situations. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because we talked a little bit about the territoriality of different stakeholders in the energy industry. Uh, the Public Utilities Commission has been accused of being toothless in the past. Uh, and that's why you see ERCOT getting a lot of the uh, a lot of the spotlight of infamy and controversy right now. ERCOT does have they have three ties to Mexico, two ties to the larger eastern grid. Uh, the U.S. think of it in terms of three big uh, grids for the country. They're not very creative with the names. One is the western interconnection, one is the eastern interconnection, and the other one is Texas. Ninety percent of Texas falls under the purview of ERCOT. And uh, well, as as I think we mentioned earlier. Uh, the parts of Texas that were in that 10% or were in areas that hadn't fully deregulated weathered the literal storm uh, better than their neighbors. So all five of those links to these other grids can be used to move commercial power and they can also be used in emergencies. But to your point, Matt, they do not, uh, they do not trigger federal oversight, which is what the, these organizations want. Everything was going fine. Now, under a deregulated market, yes, uh, many people in Texas were paying more for power uh, than they would have in a, in a more regulated market, but that wasn't necessarily the priority of these companies. Things start to go wrong earlier this month. In early February, the S hit the fan, and by S, we mean massive winter storms. I the really thought you were going to say massive winter <laughs> We'll keep the we'll keep this part in. Folks, Maybe just, wait, no, or we could just bleep the storms. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that line from uh, that that robot voice track on OK Computer? He literally says, "Froze and winter." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. About Let's that. keep this whole thing. So, uh, so there was this because uh, we'll need the levity in a second. Um, there was an unprecedented. Matt, you've heard there was a massive storm. There were actually two. There was a pair of winter storms that caused record low temperatures across the state. First one hits February 10th through February 11th, and then another one February 13th to February 17th. Uh, just for a snapshot, temperatures in Dallas, Fort Worth plummeted to negative two degrees Fahrenheit, minus 19 uh, degrees Celsius. And this is clearly like unprecedented to, to, to be 
fair, maybe is, is the right word. Uh, it, it, this is something that's never really happened there before, right? Right. Yeah, this was a record that hadn't been broken for 72 years at the very least in Dallas. But but you're, you're absolutely right. It's unprecedented for all 254 or so counties in Texas to have winter storm warnings. And then things get even worse. Just uh, imagine it. Demand for power skyrocketed as people were trying not to freeze to death. Supply plummeted because, you see, the power plants were also affected by the storm. And one by one, they started going dark when the people needed them the most. As a result of this, more than 4.3 million homes and businesses in Texas alone lost power for some amount of time. Yeah, and 47 uh, that we know of people lost their lives as a direct result of this absolute catastrophe. And the causes of death here range from the actual cold itself leading to someone's death to carbon monoxide poisoning from people attempting to find creative ways to find heat, to get heat to their bodies and into the house to drownings, to house fires, to hypothermia. Uh, there were automobile accidents related with this whole thing. Uh, it, it's just, it's been tough. And I think, I think the way you put it as a catastrophe is, is it's almost a, a too light of a word, but it's a terrible thing that has gone on. It's certainly a step up from a disaster because it's like literally a perfect storm where so many things went wrong at the same time. Exactly. Well put. And this leads us to our question. What happens when things go wrong? How did we get here? And perhaps most importantly, what happens next? We'll dive into this after a word from our sponsor. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, 
The Apollo Jim murders I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. Corruption. Conspiracy. Since Texas did not have federal oversight, the various people that would be described as stakeholders in this energy game were not mandated to do things that other uh, other organizations in other states do have to do. They didn't institute certain safety measures like winterizing equipment and facilities. Winterizing is being thrown around like a buzzword, but it just means weatherproofing. You know what I mean? Like it just means let's get uh, maybe insulator material around various equipment and uh, components and structures. On a smaller scale, it reminds me a lot of what happened here in Atlanta uh, several years ago with the snowpocalypse on a much smaller scale. This was more a uh, a situation of massive inconvenience. I I believe a, a few people maybe died in in traffic situations like cars sliding off the roads and all that but it was just they just weren't prepared you know for that level of icing of roads uh and this is that but on a a completely fundamental level that affects so many things because again that word interconnectedness and we're going to get to a lot of that but one of the reasons that it is not quite the same, but it is applicable here. The situation in Atlanta during snowpocalypse is that Atlanta as a city learned from what occurred. And I don't know if you guys remember, but we've had some pretty intense snow since that time. And there is now an infrastructure built up around it. And the infrastructure has been improved to the extent where the highways, at least, are not going to be a place where a ton of motorists get <laughs> caught up for a couple of days. Yeah, if anything, they overprep now or they uh, like overreact, you know? Oh, you don't. I don't don't know if that'll last because we have to to be very conscious, folks. And we're, it's our city. So I think it's fine for us to dunk on it. We live in a city where 
part part of the interstate will just sort of drop out of the sky. Like remember one time <laughs> the bridge on eighty five, uh, yeah. just yeah. like part of it just wasn't there, and we got a really sketchy story about people starting a fire uh-huh. under a bridge, which is like an episode of Always Sunny. Yeah, they also blamed it on like the homeless population smoking meth or something that uh, ended up being a complete fabrication, or at the very least, a, a real reach. I am not. I am not speaking to this nonsense of which you are speaking. This is nonsense, and I agree. All that stuff ridiculous watch my video on youtube which you can still find i think on our youtube channel of the of the burning of a highway in atlanta uh but what what i mean is a very specific thing occurred that was a major problem and let's be honest here a pr issue for sure for the city uh and steps were taken sure yeah but then we also have to consider again it's like the argument i set up at the very very top people uh there's a there's a great quote in literature maybe it was Chekhov someone check me on this check me on my Chekhov uh I, I can't remember which author said it but they said like uh, the mark of a good story and a good writer is when the author becomes invisible that's the mark of good infrastructure as well I know this might be maybe unpopular or something people don't want to hear right now but if we look at this situation from the perspective of of the companies, the various people at every point in the uh, energy flow of Texas, in that business, we can understand their logic. They're in a tremendously competitive, even cutthroat market. So why bother preparing for blizzards when sub-freezing temperatures are so infrequent? Like from their perspective, just for comparison, imagine you live in Miami. Why would you invest in a pair? Why would you invest in a set of tire chains? They're probably never going to leave your garage because you'll probably never need to drive in the snow. And that's, of course, the same logic with Atlanta and its uh, three snow plows. And there were even people, you know, real uh, thrift hawks, very fiscally conservative people who were saying, why are we even wasting money on this? This is these snowplows are unnecessary. It's wasteful government spending. And then it turned out that even that spending wasn't enough. But uh, we'll see how these words taste if we have to eat them uh, in another snowpocalypse in Atlanta. But as Michael Weber pointed out, he is an energy resources professor at the University of Texas at Austin. Their plans were flawed because their plans were based on precedent. As we said earlier, the storm is unprecedented. Uh, they were using outdated weather patterns. And if you use those outdated weather patterns, I'm not saying there was something better available to them at the time, maybe future modeling, which is predictive, but ha- can have a wild margin of error. If you're using that outdated weather as, as your roadmap, then of course you're going to say things don't freeze. You know, it just, it makes sense. Well, they also didn't learn from past occurrences where this very thing has happened in the not like not that long ago. Right. That we mentioned in our, our, our episode that we already, that we like mentioned this in before we talked about how it's happened several times in the past where this very thing occurred. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And this, um, it's important to understand that perspective because also picture yourself, like you're the, you're the mover and shaker, the CEO of some company in the energy industry in Texas and your business starts failing because you invested so much in winterization 
and people are coming to you and saying, why did we waste millions and millions of dollars on this? We have to spend that money fighting for our lives as a business because there are other hungry people out there and they want to eat our electric lunch. Is this a byproduct of of, of the complete uh, isolation of, of their power system, having no subsidization or no assistance from Uncle Samuel? Yeah, this is this is something uh, that comes out of the deregulation for sure. Uh, and at this point, I suggest that we we pause for a moment, not for a word from our sponsors, but from uh, for a word from some of our fellow listeners who are in Texas and who have written to us and uh, some of our own personal experience, which we don't always do. But we, like millions and millions of other people, do have friends and family in Texas. Uh, Matt, you just spoke with your uncle not too long ago, correct? How's he doing? I guess it was a little while ago. It was last Thursday as we're recording this when when they were still very much in the middle of a power outage. Uh, he lives in Houston in a suburb just to, I want to say, the southwest of Houston. And he said the power at that time had been out for two days. Then it came on for about five hours. Then it went out again. Um, thankfully, he and, and the family were able to store some food outside because it was cold enough to preserve food for an elongated amount of time at that time. And uh, another great thing, and this is a reason to have a fully gas stove set up. Uh, he didn't need power in order to start that gas stove. You just turn the knob and then get a source of fire like a lighter or anything else or a match, put it over there and you can cook anything you need to. Um, so that was very, very good. The big problem, he said, was the water and gaining access to water during all of this uh, stuff. Because of busted, burst pipes or just frozen? There are a couple of factors. Uh, partially burst pipes because of the freeze, right? And water expands when it freezes. And then partially because the water treatment plants also had gone offline and that can lower that can result in lower water pressure those two factors and at a certain threshold of water pressure when it goes below a certain threshold uh, people will be advised to boil water but then how do you boil water if you don't have electricity right you're going to have to build a fire you're going to have to be like Matt's uncle and have a gas stove or something like that well and also remember if you don't have a way to heat the water then imagine what it's like to try attempt to bathe or attempt to do anything that would require warmer water that is not, you know, that you're not going to boil, then I guess mix with some cold water and pour on yourself. It becomes a big issue. Just dealt with this when our water heater went out. Speaking of burst pipes and just firsthand accounts, uh, John Oliver did a really great segment on this and then showed some really shocking uh, images of this uh, this stuff, these scenes in people's homes and, and businesses. And one of them was a ceiling fan literally dripping with these like stalag, what is it, stalactites that go down? These, you know, ice crystals coming down off of the ceiling fan blades, which could only have been because of burst pipes and water leaking through the ceiling, right? Yeah. And then yeah. another one of a of a, a car wash where like the, you know, the cool foamy stuff that, that's colorful that when you go through and everyone makes the Instagram videos of it going down their windshield. Well, one of those tanks, I guess, burst and that stuff exploded out and it's frozen and it looks like literally like some kind of magical cave, you know, in fairyland or something, but way more terrifying and, and uh, sinister. And then uh, 
you know, you can also see heartbreaking accounts of people burning whatever was flammable in their house, like furniture and so on, to keep uh, their kids warm, uh, people sleeping in cars or charging their uh, phones off their car battery, trying to find where water is. In any emergency situation, by the way, uh, once you have found some modicum of physical safety, your very next thing, no matter what, your very next thing is to figure out where you are going to find potable water. The, you, can, you would be surprised how long people can survive without eating and without having permanent damage to their system from doing so. But uh, dehydration will rock your shit and you can die within four days. You know, yep. uh, and this, your mileage may vary. There are people, of, co- of course, we've all seen survival stories of people who managed to stay alive, but they didn't thrive past that point. And you are very much on a ticking clock. Uh, the moment you realize you can't find water, please take it seriously. Even if you think, you know, even if you think I'm just camping somewhere and there's a clearly marked trail and I can walk half a mile to the parking lot. Just take some water with you. You know what I mean? And one last thing to add here. My uncle lives in a very nice area. And on our previous episode, where we were talking about this situation. It was mentioned, at least rumors, that power was being sent to uh, very wealthy communities before it was going to be sent to anywhere else. Or like diverted? Maybe, well, where there was an inequality in, in power distribution, depending on essentially a zip code or a neighborhood or something like that. I can't speak to all of those, but I can tell you, I've been in my, my family's house. It is lovely. It's in a ridiculously nice area, and they still lost power just as frequently as everybody else. Sure, and I don't know exactly where Senator Ted... Cruz lives, but his house apparently got cold enough that they decided to to piss off to uh, what is it, Cancun? Yeah, and, and we'll um, we'll look into that a little bit later in the episode too. Uh, before we move on, I want to thank uh, Miles B, uh, Nathan G, Jacob D, and a number of other people who reached out to us to give us their experience uh, during this uh, massive catastrophe. Uh, Jacob. Uh, especially noticed, noted something that one of my relatives in Austin noted, uh, which is that people's odds of having power uh, did seem to be better if they were um, if if they were around something like an emergency responder building or a hospital, something like that. Uh, Jacob, you also noted that the story from ERCOT kept changing as far yep. as when power would be restored, how rolling blackouts would work, et cetera. Uh, and they, the, they also said Encore was giving updates like, oh, power's going to be on in 15 minutes. Oh, your power's on. Not Power was not on. <laughs> right, right. And there's, a, there's kind of a fog of war with this too. You know, there are so many moving parts. But here's what happened. When the power outages began, Natural gas plants, utility, scale, wind turbines, coal and nuclear plants, all of those started to trip, meaning, you know, they they fell off the grid because they didn't have the investments necessary to keep them online during sustained low temperatures. They just couldn't function this way, even if there wasn't a surge in demand for power like that. That's an important note. Even if it had just been the storm and 
there had not been an increase in demand for energy, a lot of these facilities still would have failed just because they couldn't handle it. And that's why ERCOT, or that's their logic for ordering utilities to institute rolling blackouts, uh, which are probably familiar to Enron fans in California, if there are any Enron fans left after after their massive debacle. And this is a big note that Ben mentioned here. I just want to make sure we're not going to go over it too quickly. These were all sorts of different types of energy generating plants. If no matter what you're reading online or what anybody is saying, this this is <laughs> affecting all parts of it. It's not just the green sector. It's not just coal or you know uh, natural gas or whatever. It's everything across the board was being affected. So the logic here is theoretically sound. Ercot says, look. We have to we have to kind of cut off an arm to save the body temporarily, right? We're going to strategically reduce temporary demand through a somewhat arcane process that uh, is very vulnerable to corruption or maybe some phone calls from powerful people asking for little favors. Uh, anyway, they said by reducing demand at certain times in certain areas, they would be able to prevent the entire circus tent of Texas electricity from collapsing. And that's a rock and a hard place, honestly. If the entire grid failed, then Texans would have been out without power for weeks, even months, and it could have affected uh, all the other pieces of infrastructure, right, including water treatment. But that's a hard thing to square when you are in the midst of a rolling outage that was supposed to last for like a couple of hours, and it lasted days at a time. And that happened to millions of people. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and then we're going to dive into the unpleasant story of people who did keep their power for at least part of the time. Doesn't end the way you suspect. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. 
In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene. I've lost all on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Okay, so imagine you are one of the lucky few who, through accident, fate, or design, managed to keep your power for some or all of the winter outages. You're not in a super great place because the people who did have power found that their bills skyrocketed. Skyrocketed is not the right word. Your bills launched into orbit. They space rocketed. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it, it follows the concept of supply and demand, but you don't typically think of that in terms of, like, things that people need to survive, as, as that being a calculus. And yet, here we are. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of inside baseball here, but here's what happened. One megawatt of whole, what's called wholesale power went from 50 bucks to $9,000. A wholesale power is something that a business will buy and then they will sell it or provide it to consumers. So this wouldn't affect you if you had what's called a fixed rate plan. That's a very common thing here in the U.S. Uh, you're basically, as a customer, forced to gamble with a power company and you, you can make one of a couple of, you can make a couple of types of bets. One of the bets is saying, Hey, I will pay this much per unit of power all the time. And I'll do that for 12 months. So if there's a surge in price or demand, I won't have to pay more than my, you know, 30 cents or buck 35 or whatever. But if the price goes lower than that dollar 35, I still have to pay the dollar 35. So you're kind of in a casino with a power company. I always wondered, I mean, I guess it really is up to the individual, but do, do you see, a, obviously the benefit here was was alarmingly apparent, but in general, uh, what would you recommend, Ben? I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, look, I'll, I'll give you my opinion. 
I've been I've been officially paying for power now since 2004. So I've been paying a separate power bill since 2004. Um, I have attempted the variable style once, and it's the only time I had to pay ridiculous amounts of money for power. Uh, and did the same thing with heating bills. Only once. You got me once. Never will do it again. <laughs> I've always felt that fixed rates seemed like the safest bet, and I, I'm a fixed rate man myself. Yeah, agreed. Uh, again, these are our personal experiences. Your yep. mileage may vary, uh, but there are power monopolies here in Georgia, uh, so you ha- so you are forced to deal with them, and they want you to gamble. Um, and I, I personally am not a big fan of gambling, and I do think, you know, you could say I'm being hyperbolic or uh, whatever by describing it as this, but it is it is gambling. And I I had an experience like you, Matt. Um, Variable can work if you like astutely time it and you pay attention, you pay close attention. Fixed rate, it's kind of like you're just paying more for the certitude and the predictability. So uh, fixed rate is pretty good. And I think a lot of people in Texas were on fixed rate too. So let's talk about the people who went with a variable rate. Uh, I don't know what the smallest uh, place all of us uh, listening today have ever lived in is, but there was one woman in Texas who had a 700 square foot apartment, pretty small. Uh, She was keeping it at 60 degrees. She didn't lose power for very long. When she got her power bill, it was $1,000. Okay. Okay. Is this like by design? Are they really thinking people are going to pay this? Are they really going to hold people to these absurd bills? Is it supply and demand or is it price gouging? It's all, or is it an accident? Like I, an accident. I, yeah. I, I just, I don't know. Well, the, yeah. the bill is not an accident. That's how much the energy cost when they were attempting, when they're going through this crisis, if energy was being supplied to your home, the supply and demand, baby. Uh, it's messed up. It's really messed up. We, we can get into that a little more as we get to the conclusion here. But yeah, the, the big thing is that a lot of people dealt with something like that. Huge, in the thousands, uh, bills that were coming due. And ultimately, as we'll see, this will have to be decided in the courts, I think. Uh, one guy was talking to NBC News, and he said, I have a two-bedroom home. My power bill is usually 125 to 150 bucks, uh, but this month it's more than three thousand dollars, which caught me by surprise. Uh, I am editorializing a little. Another family, one really extreme example. Another family told the same team at NBC that they were able to keep the power in their home, which had three bedrooms, uh, and then they found their bill ended up being ten thousand dollars. And the price gouging didn't stop there. It didn't stop with power bills. Because remember, this is a crisis. Well, yeah, and I, I get that. And I understand that, that this is a crisis for the energy end of it, too, the provider. But again, it's it's kind of their fault. Uh, so it doesn't seem fair that they would um, pass this on to the consumer. But I guess that's what utilities do. Uh, but w- would they have been notified? Would they have just known this was happening from maybe the news? Like, like I just, I just feel it would have been in the responsibility of the energy company to say, hey, heads up. This is about to get real expensive. Right. Yeah, it's tough. And it also, we have to remember, it was happening so quickly. You know what I mean? People have zero prep time. But as we record today, Texas officials are cracking down on businesses 
that have been accused of hiking the prices of food and water and hotel rooms especially while the state is still battling through the shortages uh, that were caused by these storms. Like people were going to hotels, not even nice hotels. They were finding that the price had been hiked up to 900 bucks because folks would pay it. Uh, there was there was something I found especially wholesome in a very dystopian way. There was a store, like a you know, like a little grocery store that or a gas station that had closed down because of the storm and uh, because they didn't have power. And some locals had been like breaking into this place to get water, but then they started paying on an honor system. And so there's like this pile of cash on the floor and a nice little, like a nice note, uh, which I thought was a really, I thought that was a really human thing, uh, which I mean is a compliment. But back to the water, more than 12 million people found their water service disrupted. Uh, More than 200,000 people in Texas live in areas where water systems were completely non-operational. We've got, especially in rural Texas, we've got a lot of people who have wells. And generally, I think that is an awesome idea. But we had some folks contact us and say, you know, we thought we'd be okay, but our wells, uh, our wells were frozen. You know what I mean? And we're not on the grid. So what can we do? Can't access that water if it's all locked up in ice. Well, there's an additional thing there with like, <laughs> depending on where that water is coming from in that well, where it's, you know, where it's dug into, just imagine all the chemicals and stuff that are going into land across parts of Texas. Yikes. Because of what? Fracking, mostly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. That's a good point, Matt, because the fracking is still in the chat very much. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, the frack chat. The frack chat, yeah. Hold on one. And this is where we get to uh, some much needed levity here. Uh, something happened in the ensuing information war or narrative war uh, that would be hilarious if it was not so, so very dumb while people were dying. Uh, several pundits and politicians in the beginning of this crisis tried to blame the power failures on renewable energy, specifically Windmills. That's right. They are the villain of this story. Big wind, which sounds like, you know, uh, a street name for someone who is flatulent. But this this is really easy to disprove. I know we all saw the clips, but honestly, folks, maybe 23 percent of Texas's energy comes from renewable sources, like all of them together. It sounds a whole lot like a pay no attention to the man behind the curtain scenario. You know what I mean? Like, look over here, misdirection. Uh, And also, it's obviously an agenda as well, because as we discussed, I mean, Texas has a history of of, uh, fossil fuels and uh, fossil fuel extraction. So they're best in it. And they don't want to be told what to do by big government, you know, and something like this this creepy green new deal, right? Exactly, exactly. And you know, natural gas powers most of that grid. If you looked at the statistical breakdown, so really natural gas is the first thing you should be looking at in these power-related emergencies. And production of natural gas had plummeted due to the freezing conditions, right? Which made it difficult for power plants to get the fuel necessary to generate electricity. So you can have a working car, but if you don't have the gas, you're not going anywhere. That's what happened to a lot of these plants. They don't store a bunch of fuel on site. It has to be brought to them continually. But that being said, 
here is a, uh, <laughs> let me know if we should keep this in guys. Um, here, here is a hot take uh, from Texas agriculture commissioner, Sid Miller, uh, who is known for his uh, somewhat opinionated Facebook post. Trying very hard to be fair here. Yep, that's right. Uh, Miller said, uh, we should never build another wind turbine in Texas. We should never build another wind turbine in Texas. Full stop. Full stop. I mean, maybe he's just a big fan of birds and he's just triggered by wind turbines, you know, because of because whatever. Uh, Maybe he's scared of windmills. Maybe he's scared of windmills. Maybe he's a Don Quixote type figure. (laughs) And then he had another Facebook post where he said, insult added to injury. Those ugly wind turbines out there are among the main reasons we are experiencing electricity blackouts. Isn't that ironic? Don't you what think? If that's an Alana Morissette reference. Yeah, anyway, he continues. He goes, so much for the unsightly and unproductive energy-robbing Obama monuments. At least they show us where idiots live. Oh, my. You know who he sounds like? I can. You think? I think you know who he sounds like. Just Trump. Yeah, 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 it's a familiar tone that we haven't been hearing as much of lately. Uh, it's in terms of that just out and out, you know, name calling and hyperbole. Uh, yeah, Obama monuments. He should have just call, gone the next extra mile and called them Obamuments. Yeah, you know, I do like the, I gotta say, I objectively like the cadence. Uh, there's something about those three M's. How they kind of ride the beat in that in that phrase no, Obama monument. You're right. You're right, Ben. <laughs> but, but I agree with you that as a portmanteau. Oh, what what was it? Oh, Obonuments. Obonuments. Yeah, there it is. Uh, there's there's something else here. We received some correspondence from a lot of our fellow listeners, including our main man James, who was who told us that there there appears to be some corruption regarding who was able to keep power. It appears that uh, some wealthy residents or people residing in wealthy zip codes got preferential treatment. We do know that ERCOT and the utilities were able to direct these blackouts, right, to a degree, because they prioritize things like keeping the power on at the fire station or the power on at the hospital or the precinct you know what i mean and those are normal things to do during a disaster the question is did uh for instance someone who like let's say you're a uh a high up person in like industry or local politics are you able to then call the person running things at your local utility and say hey the power and my zip code stays on and they're like, you got it. Just remember me at the next, uh, I, I don't know, Illuminati Cook, cookout. Uh, Illuminati cookout. cookout. There Illuminati we go. cookout. Uh, and for the next, uh, the next Bohemian propane grove. I uh, love it. Okay. So, so that now we're looking at the aftermath and this is still happening by the way, where this is, this should just be considered a kind of one-on-one explainer of the opportunities for corruption and conspiracy. The situation and the weather are improving, but still tons and tons of people don't have power and don't have clean water. Oh, by the way, uh, I just got uh, my friend Vanessa, who lives out, I think, near in the Fort Worth area, just called me back and left a voicemail, but I don't have access to that. Um, we, we, I may get a text in a moment just to give an update 
on the ground. So we'll do that before this episode ends, if if we can. And there is hope on the horizon, folks. We didn't want this to end with uh, total gloom and doom. Senator Ted Cruz, who was witnessed abandoning his state during the ongoing disaster for an abortive trip to Cancun, officially returned when the press caught the story. Nah, he, he was always coming back. He was always coming right back. He just, he just had to go to be a dad for, for a, a day to make, make sure, get the kids all settled in to the, the, was it the Four Seasons, I believe? Uh, and then he was always going to come right back, you know, with a giant rolling suitcase. I'm sorry, I'm being uh, snarky. I just, yeah, people only do stuff they're supposed to do when they get caught. And I don't know how he thought he would get away with this. But. Money, money, as we've said numerous times, and Ben, this is a mantra that we have on this show. Money is a superpower. It's the closest thing you're going to get to it. Ted yes. Cruz, Ted Cruz has some money. He was like, uh, what is this? What? Uh, nah. And he got out of there. Look, I know it's not a good political look, and I know it's terrible, and a lot of people are very, very mad at him. But, like, can you really blame him? He has the superpower to be able to go to Cancun when stuff goes bad. <laughs> so, th- this is the thing. Um, regardless of how you feel about the guy, he caught a lot of bad press, and rightly so, because he kept changing his explanation. For the trip, he kept changing his description of the trip. And he's and really he's, bad at it, too. He's really yeah. bad at, like, lying in this way. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying it. I think he's a great guy. Let, let me just leave it there. Oh, I'm going to have to walk it back a little bit. Look, <laughs> it's like the, uh, you guys, if you guys don't listen, if any of you out there does, does not listen to the the show, This Is Important on iHeartRadio, you should. They've got a segment with take what is it? Take backs, apologies, things like that. This is my take back. Sorry. Uh, what I would say is watch SNL that just came out this past week. There's a great cold open that is describing what you guys are saying here. Right. With the cornrows. Yeah. Uh, and this, so, you know, the Calvary returns, uh, he got dunked on in the, in the media because he was changing the explanation description of the story. Other facts came out. There were some leaked text messages. Um, people who loved dogs were mad that they left their dog for what was uh, sometimes described as a four-day trip or like the length of time kept varying. But don't worry. After he changed his explanation several times, Senator Cruz uh, is now currently on the ground and he's made sure to be photographed handing out water bottles. Uh, So truly... It is the trying times that bring out the hero in all of us. I mean, I basically think the man's a saint at this point. You know? uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, <gasps> that's the thing, though. You know, By location is a saint superpower, right? It's one of the miracles. Uh, so he may still be in Cancun. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Or maybe he has a clone. Uh, anyway, he could have handled the, the PR, you know, fallout a little better if he did have a clone. Or a better disguise or something, you know. Even with the mask, he, he stuck out like a sore thumb in the airport. Yeah, get a, get a, even a really lazy ID. Like, travel is said trues or something like that. But, but now, I, I mean, that, that aside, we know there are ramifications brewing for everybody here, for the businesses like Ted Cruz it was getting tried in the court of public opinion. But some of these energy providers are going to, you know, 
actual court. Well, it's like we said at the beginning. I mean, it's 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 a it, when when these things start to break, it just becomes a series of fingers pointing. And when a finger points at you, you point your finger at someone else, and then that finger points at somewhere someone else, and then it's up to the courts to decide who deserves the finger. That's why I point with my whole hand. Mm-hmm. Never, never just one finger. Give him, give him the whole hand. Give him the Never hand. the finger. <laughs> what do I think presidents have to do? You have to kind of like point with your thumb when you talk so you don't look like a yeah. dictator. Someone yeah, got paid yeah. to figure that out. It was Bill Clinton. Uh, is it, was that, he was figured it, he, it out. He was the first one. Someone told him to do that. But <laughs> right now, as we speak, there is a class action lawsuit in the works for a Texas electric retailer named Gritty. They're getting sued for $1 billion. Wait, Gritty, like the, the mascot of, uh, of Michigan? No, of Philadelphia? Uh, uh, no, no, uh, two Ds. Uh, it's a cute sounding name, though. I'm not going to lie. True. It feels like an app. Doesn't uh, it, it does. Yeah. It does. And and for sure, that's not the only lawsuit that's coming out. There's, there are going to be so many happening just in the next couple of years here because of the situation. And we also know that ERCOT, that Energy Reliability Council, that's not the the folks who are in charge of that thing are not getting away scot-free either. Nah, it's been a, a cascade of uh, resignations, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Or at least as of right now, I believe it's six people who are leaving. That's a minor cascade, I would say. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was, I know five initially, five members of the board, uh, they all tendered their resignation, four of them, I think, in one message and then another one uh, separately, and including, I believe that's the the head of the board, right? The the chair, the board chair yeah. left? Uh, yeah, yeah, people, these uh, resignations are all from the board of directors, uh, but the the headline might be a little bit misleading in this one because in the joint resignation letter that uh, I think four of these people wrote, uh, they said that they were motivated to resign because people had objected to the fact that these four people did not themselves reside in Texas. So they said, I, I like the way you would put it off air, Matt. They, they basically threw their hands up and were like, okay, yeah, no. Oh I'm yeah. Not. You guys deal with this. Oh, that's cool. We're, We'll get out of here. <laughs> okay, buck passed officially? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tight. Great. All right. All right. We're going Cancun. to Cancun. <laughs> <laughs> Spring break forever. So um so we are we are, you know, we are trying to handle this with with levity, but it is it is true that regardless of how you feel about the role of government, the role of private industry, or uh how you feel about the weather, these three things uh all played a role in what whether through their absence or whether through their strategies they all played a role in this uh in this terrifying series of events you in these situations everybody wants someone to blame like we said at the very top of the episode but really you can't blame a utilities commission for not being able to control the weather right that's that's just something we all have to deal with and then when you think about winterizing, if you dig down into the boring stuff about winterization, you'll see that uh, no small number of experts are saying at this point it might be better to build out new infrastructure that's already you know created to be weatherproof than spending the money trying to winterize the existing stuff. I think the, the issue that I have with, with that uh, idea of, of you can't blame them is – the political stance of so many people in power 
in a state like that uh, involves climate change denial. And this is an absolute, in my opinion, um, example of the climate changing. So all these climate deniers that are like, you know, burying their head in the sand, saying nothing to see here, nothing's going to happen. Then stuff like this happens and they weren't prepared because they denied it. (laughs) I think that's, you know, I think that is a good point. I think it's a valid point. Uh, And also the weather is becoming increasingly unpredictable. If you are lucky enough to have uh, elderly people in your life, family or friends, right? And when I say elderly, I sit, I'm thinking like 70 plus. Uh, if you have people like that in your life and uh, you have some time, ask them how the weather was when they were growing up. You're, you're going to, if they haven't already told you, I know there's a stereotype that older people like to talk about weather, but if they haven't already told you, uh, I guarantee that you will see uh, from firsthand experience that there has been a noticeable change of weather over those seven decades those people were alive. And that makes the problem even tougher. That's the question. We have to end on a question. How can we prepare for things that we can't predict? Can we afford to prepare for everything, no matter how unlikely it may seem? Should we? Should we even do that? You know, like like um, Matt, you we have this thing where we put in related episodes when we're working on the show, and Matt, you you cited a, a really great one that I didn't necessarily think about immediately, which was our question about whether a solar flare can destroy civilization. The answer is yes. Oh yeah, because <laughs> uh, the whole point we I almost brought it up earlier. We were talking about how long the power was out and how long it could have been out, right? And if it was out for weeks, then you're dealing with potentially the collapse of civilization in Texas. And that's exactly what that episode was about. Uh, because when you're, when you're out, when power cannot be turned on for a certain amount of time, right now, because of all of the infrastructure and how everything functions, if it was off for long enough, oh, I don't have any headphones anymore. Uh, if it was long enough for... <laughs> If it was out for long enough, it's absolute chaos. Uh, My son really wants me to tell you guys about chaos and how exciting it is. Is he a proponent of chaos Um, theory? Oh, he's uh, trying to get me to open a Barks root beer. Oh, got it. I mean, look, we can see what you're talking about, Matt, just by the series of events in this story that happened over the span of like several days. You know, I mean, it really triggered an absolute uh, domino effect of things going horribly, horribly wrong. So, you know, given a longer period of time with the right conditions, it absolutely would lead to the collapse of civilization if, uh, the, if, if things were, you know, just wrong enough. But then on the other hand, you know, it, it's still kind of a gamble, arguably, because when we take the solar flare example, we're just using that because it's like an apocalyptic movie plot. Uh, in the solar flare example, if you... If you take the steps to harden elect, an electric grid, right, against this the, this unpredictable event, then what happened? Like, what if one doesn't come for 50 years? Then you just look like you're incredibly paranoid. Uh, there's that other, but there's this other example we talked a little bit about off air. Uh, back when the modern London sewer system was being built, the guy who was heading it up uh, said, look, we're only going to do this once. 
Uh, I've got all the estimates, everything that is reasonable, uh, but we're going to go way bigger. We're going to make these pipes like twice as big as they need to be, because if we don't, this is going to come back to haunt us. And everybody was like, you're crazy, dude. I don't know what your thing with pipes is, but you need to pump your brakes. Uh, And it turns out he was right. That's the only reason the London sewer system still works is because someone had the foresight uh, to to think about these future possibilities. And they also didn't have a problem with uh, being mocked for them, like the guy uh, who talked about washing your hands and ended up in an insane asylum. Yeah, exactly. And these are questions for you, folks. We we want to hear want to hear your thoughts. What what's the answer here? How how do we avoid this massive tragedy and tragedies like this in the future? Uh, is there stuff we should do? Is should there is federal regulation uh, the answer for Texas? You know, a lot of people are going to say no. A lot of people say that misses the point. Uh, is it better predictive weather models? Do we just tell everybody to constantly live as though civilization may collapse in the next 72 hours? That's that's the one. That's the one. Uh, speaking of, my friend Vanessa just got back to me, and it's exactly this. Uh, I'm going to read this verbatim to you. We are key preppers, so we were prepared, but we had zero electricity not rolling for 84 hours. 84 hours. The temperatures in our home got to 40 degrees. It was in the 40s. Uh, we were okay, but we had supplies. The elderly in our area had it very hard. Lots of pipes and damage, but it's 80 degrees here today. Geoengineering is wacky. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> yeah, unless you are a prepper, essentially, or you see yourself as that way and are prepared for this stuff, um, you you may not be ready when something like this goes down on the individual level, on the home level, the apartment level, whatever it is. Um, it would be great if the companies and these big organizations and the profit centers instead were prepared. Right, right. And as we continue, doubtlessly, more uh, information is going to come out about how this catastrophe was handled. And that may change uh, everybody's view of the sequence of events. That's that's just the nature of how these sorts of investigations work. Um, on a side note, you guys, I finally did it. I, I achieved my dream of getting a French MRE, uh, which is an RCIR. They're, they're just streets ahead. Is it like oh, chicken cordon bleu? Or what are we talking here? They got some good stuff. Like they, they all come with a pate. There's one that's like boar pate, B-O-A-R. Uh, they, They've got some good stuff. I'll, I'll I'll send you guys pics when they come in. But if as long as there's something orange in there, then we're good. <laughs> um, I gotta ask you guys though. Uh, in a year, or guys, again, the year that has already felt like half a year. Uh, let's just consider this a continuation of last year. Uh, just chock full of crazy, uh, historical, unprecedented events. Where do you think this one ranks? Tough to say, uh, honestly, because. If the past several months have taught us anything, it is that the motto for the motto for this year, the motto for last year, the motto for last year was it's always something right. Uh, And the motto for this year may well be, but wait, there's more. (laughs) So I'm having a tough time. I think it's a great question and it's one we should uh, send to you, our fellow listeners. 
How would you rank it? What else is not getting reported? Because we can assure you there's a lot. And also, how would somebody untangle the complicated situation of Texas energy? What is the solution and and how plausible do you think it is for that solution to be achieved uh, before another event like this occurs? We want to hear from you. We try to make it easy to find us online. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we are Conspiracy Stuff Show. Those are, you know, easy ways to follow along with us and maybe write to us. Another way is to join Here's Where It Gets Crazy. That's our Facebook page. Lots and lots of us are already on there, and it'd be great to see your face there, too. And if you want to do a different kind of writing, why not write us a nice review on Apple Podcast or the podcatcher of your choice, but preferably Apple Podcast. Helps us get up there in the rankings and helps people discover the show. It's true. And I want to thank everybody who uh, reached out to me personally and said that we ruined their day with that episode about baby food. Sorry, but I, I think it's just better to know. My hands are clean. I was on adventures. You were on adventures. That's correct. Uh, If you don't want to contact us via social media, absolutely understand. Uh, We have another way to get in touch with us. Uh, We went legit and got, we went semi-legit and got a call-in number. We are 1-833-STDWYTK. You have three minutes. Those minutes belong to you. Do with them what you will. Uh, Here's what we suggest if you if you have an idea, uh, tackle it this way. Tell us your name or your cool nickname or moniker at the top. Tell us uh, your story, your response, your topic suggestion. If there's anything that you want to just keep between us and the NSA, then you can save that for the end uh, and tell us then. And perhaps most importantly, if you have a in-depth story or you have an in-depth question or something you want to share with us, Don't feel like you have to edit yourself down to three minutes. Just go ahead and send us an email. We do read them all uh, and we greatly appreciate them. You can hit us up there any time of day, any state you're in, uh, mental or physical, uh, at our good old-fashioned email address where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.